welcome to Astrology Bites. This is your host, Teresa Reed, the Tarot Lady. I'm the author of Astrology for Real Life, a no BS guide for the astro curious. I'm also your host for this podcast series. Now, if you're curious about astrology, you are definitely in the right place. This is episode 101 of Astrology Bites, the podcast where I dish out short, entertaining, bite-sized lessons on astrology. My goal is to make astrology feel simple, clear, fun, and totally applicable to your everyday life. All right, we are going to get into today's episode. Today, I have a very special guest. We are talking with Colin Bedell, the author of Queer Cosmos, and we are going to be talking about Queer Cosmos. Hello, Colin. Hello, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to say, too, I'm mad that your listeners couldn't hear our preliminary conversation because in true Gemini fashion, you and I both just went right in and said so much in a short amount of time. And it was amazing to experience that with you. So thank you for having me. Well, it's always good, first of all, to talk to a fellow Gemini because I will say it is the best sign in the Zodiac. I'm going to stop and say it too because I don't know what it's like to be in any other one. But let me tell you, I love being a Gemini. I know we get a lot of uh, internet searches and some pretty nasty coverage, but I love my sign. Yeah, I love it. I'm glad you do too. <laughs> so do I. I. You know, you never feel alone when you're a Gemini. Oh, that's beautiful. I know. I really don't. I really don't. <laughs> my yes. So I want to first um, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in astrology? What sure. got you into it? Um, because I, th- it was actually spoken about uh, pretty frequently by my mother, because she had read uh, Linda Goodman's Sun Signs, the seminal text. I think it was the first astrology book to ever be a New York Times bestseller. Uh, it was published in 1968. And she had read it. And was just always talking about astrology and not often enough to like be a, pro- a professional, but she just noticed it. Uh, and I remember when I was 12 years old, she mentioned it again as I was trying to buy a gift for somebody. And she goes, oh, well, did you ever get their birthday? And I was like, uh, well, like, because it was a Valentine's Day gift. And she was like, oh, just look up their birthday and we can figure out, you know, what their sign is and, you know, cross-reference it from there. And once I saw the accuracy of this system, I was 12 years old at the time, I was completely blown away. And I'm a queer man. That's why I wrote Queer Cosmos. And I think we really appreciate symbols of people who are born outside of majority culture and use their power as a source, use their difference as a source of power, right? And so astrology connected my love of mythology. It connected my love of Sailor Moon. I'm 30. So I grew up on that uh, animated TV show. I loved all things witchy, Sabrina, Charmed all these considerations and mediations of women, especially who used their power and their differences to reclaim it. Astrology held all of that for me, right? And then I just took it with me for the vast majority of my life. And it wasn't until I was about 25, 26, and I was living in New York City and I was connecting with other astrologers in the area where they were encouraging me to do it professionally. And honestly, Teresa, I kept telling them, no, 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 there's no way, not a chance in hell, it's too financially inconsistent. I just can't do it. And then I finally was like, okay, I'll get a website started. So I got a website started in the spring of 2017. And then two weeks later, I was fired from my day job. Literally wow. two weeks later. So I was like, oh boy, okay, I guess that there's something here. And I thankfully received unemployment from the great old state of New Jersey because that's where my job was located at the time. And I made the decision there on in prior to my Saturn return that this is the career path for me. And I'm going to give this a shot, especially when I have the six months of financial cushion 
you know, obviously not enough because it doesn't cover everything, but it was enough. And then interestingly, um, my last week of unemployment, Teresa, I received my first literary contract. Wow. It was meant to be. Uh, yes, uh, honestly. And I have stayed in that space since my career started. And I am so grateful for it. And I am just in reverence for what I get to do, who I get to meet, and, and the conversation yeah. I get to have, like the ones we just had. It's, it's an unbelievable gift, uh, dream come true. It's just extraordinary. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I started my career too, right around my Saturn return. Uh, and at that time, I had been reading tarot and doing astrology since I was 15. Mm -hmm. So I'd been doing it for, you know, over a decade. And, um, you know, it's all something I did it as a hobby. I did it for anybody who'd let me do it. And back then I was working as a bartender and I had all these people coming in for readings and people were saying, hey, you know, uh, I'd like to get a, I'd like to pay you for a full reading. You know, I'd like to spend time with you. And I thought about doing a business and my, the owner of the bar went behind my back and told people I would fail. So I quit immediately without anything to fall back on. So it's kind of like similar. The mother of necessity is like, you got fired or I quit my job and boom, it all worked out. We, Gemini's always land on their feet. It's, well, and fortunately, because we have winged sandals, so all we know how to yes. do is fly, right, baby? Right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, so I I it's it. very, very interesting. And I've been at my career now for almost 30 years. Congratulations. You know, so, no, uh, I, I don't know how the hell it lasted that long, but, <laughs> you know, there's something about this type of work. When you are really into it, it will work for you. Yes, I'm. I'm so glad you brought this up because this has been something that has uh, come often, come up often in my readings and so much synchronicity. And I keep telling people, I'm like, look, if we're in the spiritual world, we have to walk with faith and understand these principles personally first before we have any more authority in guiding it for others. Which yep. is why we often go through these kind of sacred initiations. Like you, you had the job that you got fired from behind your back, and you had to trust fall into the arms of the universe. I got fired, and then my best friend yep. died. It, everything just poof, happened and I needed to then apply these experiences and ideas to my life immediately so that then I could be qualified from a spiritual point of view yeah. to hold that vision aloft for others. And it's very difficult to be in the metaphysical industry without going through your own kind of river sticks, ape house, tower moment if, if you really want to be the practitioner you claim to be. So I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Right on. So, you know, you mentioned your new book, Queer yeah. Cosmos. And when I first saw uh, that this book was coming out, because I've been watching your work for a while, I got very, very excited because I'm like, holy cats, this is a book that's needed. And it's not, in my opinion, it's not needed only for LGBTQ plus people, but also for straight readers. And I'm going to cover that in a second. But before we get into that, um, I want you to tell me why you decided to write this book? What, how did this book come about? Great question. So uh, it, was, it all kind of started with the name of my website, right? So I started QueerCosmos.com with my best friend, who is another queer woman. And uh, we wanted to have just a different space for conversations related to queer experiences where horoscopes and personality profiles were not heteronormative and that they were textured with pop cultural examples that queer people found relevant to their lived experiences, right? So that was something that we decided to do together. And then um, when it, it was March 2018, when I was approached by Cleus Press, who has a longstanding history of publishing subversive, independent queer authors and uh, methods, 
And I just said, okay, this is the moment to put everything that I found fascinating about astrology and tailor make it for the queer reader and bring up uh, other evidence and support that I think could be really helpful for them. So it just happened that way. And back to your uh, anecdote about how when you're in this work, the work finds you. Yeah, I was approached by Cleus. Mm-hmm. I didn't even apply. It, it's a, just happened. It just happened. Yeah. And I'm not acting like I'm some precious unicorn and this stuff happens to me wherever I go. It's really just, these are, these laws are impersonal. It's like I I did what I had a deep psychological imperative to do and the universe made sure that I can continue expressing it. And the fact that the book just, you know, kind of fell in your lap, it's also, in my opinion, a sign that the universe is saying, listen, you got to do this. You don't have a choice now, buddy. <laughs> I really believe that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm so glad you mentioned it in that tone of voice because that's exactly how the universe communicates its authority to me. It's like, listen, buddy. <laughs> in true New York fashion. So you definitely lived here. Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I love the fact that you mentioned also about your book, um, the publisher being subversive. Uh, back when I lived in New York, back in the day, I loved the whole subversive lifestyle. And I was part of um, the first, anor- the oldest anarchist newspaper. I was one of the original staff members. It's still going in New York called The Shadow. And so we were all involved with all these things like we were doing like uh, protests for homeless rights for uh, people with AIDS. We were involved in all kinds of cool stuff. So I, I love that you use that word subversive. It's one of my favorite words. Oh, good. I'm honored, especially because, yeah, in true Gemini fashion, we love a word as a password, don't we? Yes. Like, now I trust you because you use subversive, right? <laughs> you use subversive. Now, so speaking of words in your book, now this is why I am such um, – I've been I've been talking about your book on Instagram Live and everything because it really is important. Now let me show you back when I started learning. So I've got this book in front of me that my listeners can't see, and it is an astrology book from the seventies. There's many things about this particular book that's decent, mm. but speaking of things, oh, no. so the books back then, everything was focused on heteronormative yeah. perspective. And what's really troubling about these books is the way they talk about people who are gay. Mm. So I want you to listen to this. And this is why I want my listeners to listen to this. This is the kind of stuff we had back then. So they're talking about the Mars and Gemini. Mm. And it says, when Mars is under affliction in Gemini, it may be an individual of bisexual or homosexual tendencies. I want you to think about that for a moment. These are the books that a lot of us had to cut our teeth on back in the day. Books that made it sound like if somebody is homosexual, it is, it's somehow wrong. Or like here, if you have Mars and Cancer, you are highly emotional in your relationships with the opposite sex. So look at how that book is presenting things. And that is not healthy for astrologers. It wasn't back then because it's promoting relationships the opposite sex is the ideal yes and yes. here it's saying affliction and putting that in with bisexual or homosexual tendencies this is why for me your book is like yes 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 so that's the way the books were focused on that perspective so that makes me wonder how did how do you think lgbtq plus people use books like this back in the day as a guide for relationships oh my gosh think I about don't... that 
right? Well, and also other read, uh, astrology readers too, like, oh, Mars and Gemini afflicted by a Saturn square. You must be, you know, bisexual and leaving your heterosexual marriage. It's like, what are we even saying here? Yeah. You know, so I, I can imagine that the vast majority of the analysis was just really reductive and simplistic. I believe that, uh, thank you so much for providing that analysis. That's, I'm never going to forget that. I also think that the binary of good or bad compatibility yep. is also extremely heteronormative too. Right? Yes. The opposite sex, good or bad. There's so much that we're still living with and detangling in contemporary astrology that I believe that the readers did the best they can with the limited tools of social understanding that they had. But still, it's like we have a lot of catching up to do and a lot of surveillance and checking, and especially too with just women's rights, gender issues yep. need to be brought up and carefully considered around Mars, around Venus, around the sun. There's so much that we can only begin start to, to start doing now. And I'm just honored to be a part of it. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm not the first, I'm not the last. We're, I'm doing it with others who are really committed to removing shared assumptions on sex, sexuality, and gender in astrology. And I think we're we're making significant headway with a long way to go. Yeah. You you absolutely are making headway. I mean, and again, back in the day, there just wasn't the resources. And no. I think that that was very damaging, not just for members of the LGBTQ plus community, but for anybody who was a serious student of astrology and wanted to help people. Yeah. I mean, how can you help people if your only text or your only perspective is male-female relationships. I think that's very destructive and limiting. Without a doubt, Teresa. And also, I was thinking, too, the fact that we are living in a time right now where we can be able to use astrology and other spiritual sources to free ourselves from just limiting beliefs around relationship compatibility, around the fact that, too, using your example, that like queerness could even be found in an astrology chart. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and this determinism things like there's a lot of cleanup that we need to do and also a lot of birthing that we need to do. Yeah. Currently, given, as we were saying earlier, the advent of so much digital access and where culture is moving, where conversations are changing, we are in a huge renaissance. People are looking at astrologers and tower readers and, and metaphysical practitioners now more than ever since maybe the 60s, yeah. right? So we have so much work to do. And I'm just honored and glad that people like you and our listeners and readers are committed to that service as well. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, the things that's really important also with the internet, I mean, I could go on a whole other thing about this, yeah. is it's introducing the world to a lot of, um, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color and uh, LGBTQ plus um, readers and astrologers. And for back, again, back in the day, oftentimes people were looking for someone who could identify with their experience, who looked yes. like them. Not everybody wants to go to the middle-aged white straight lady. They right. want someone who's going to get their experience. And, you know, I think that's super important. This is also why I love the internet. It's like, now you can, if you want, you can go to someone maybe that you don't identify with, but you can find somebody that gets your story, that understands your perspective, that is really going to be able to read for you in a way that's deep and profound that maybe somebody else who doesn't have that shared experience can. Perfectly said. I have nothing to add other than I couldn't co-sign it fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> I like, want your reflection to just like land. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So here's the thing I want to ask you too. So now, of course, I read you this. 
I don't even want to tell people the title of the book. So <laughs> I've got some other old books. Oh my God. Oh, well, I could go back and forth with you all day. I know. And yes. Some that were still published like five years ago. So it's I know. Like, oh, Lord have mercy. Okay, go ahead. I know. I've got one book too that says, you know, that's all about how to, I guess, get romance. And it, it basically says that the ideal partner for me should be taking me on an airplane ride for my, to impress. It's so weird, but anyhow. <laughs> like what? I don't know. And I think too, to astrologers credit, when a lot of these books were published, like in the 60s and 70s, right, there wasn't even a department in most uh, universities and colleges that were dedicated to couples counseling. Yeah. So the first department, as I remember, if I'm knowing my history correctly, was 1978. So that was doctors John and Julie Gottman. They started a field of relational sciences at the University of Washington in the late 70s. So we just either assumed that everybody knew how to relationally connect or that we had the skills and qualifications. And so astrologers who were studying in ancient science, they were leaning on a lot of unfounded assumptions as well. So back to the point of like the internet and, and what's happening now, we have so much data, yes, so much support, and we have to be really critical. We have to be really skeptical, but we have to confirm that which is true in the lived experiences and put it in books now. Yes. So anyway, yeah. So what makes your interpretations in your book unique to the LGBTQ plus community? Great question. So a couple of things. I really wanted to make sure that I immediately addressed the concept of shame yes, uh, and loneliness, because I believe that as queer people, we have a head start and also a disadvantage related to chosen family and mm-hmm. our understandings of relational intelligence, Right. So right now, the number one public health crisis in the United States is loneliness. Mm-hmm. And I believe that what queer people have is a really exceptional understanding on how to connect to people outside of family of origin into the chosen family network, right? So I wanted that examined from the beginning. And then also I needed shame acknowledged because shame is the single greatest barrier between ourselves and the relationships that ultimately determine our life quality. And so shame is universal, regardless of sex, sexuality, or gender. But I think it does take on the lived experiences of the people that we're with. I mean, there still hasn't been psychological studies, as I understand that I could be incorrect, in terms of what it means for a queer person to hold a knowing that I am so different, number one, shame-inducing, it's related to my sex, sexuality, or gender, doubly shame-inducing, and I'm either going to lie to others or lie to myself for 15 to 25 plus years of our life. That is extraordinarily maladaptive, right? And we still don't even have a lot of understanding of that. So I needed the vocabulary and the semantics explained right away right? So that queer readers can know, here's what shame is. Here's how it expresses itself related to sexuality. And you're going to want to know that it's doubly amplified if you don't have the race, gender, class, physical mobility, or theology of origin that relates to waspy America, right? So, or Christian right America. So let's start there. And then shame survives and thrives when it convinces you and me that we are unworthy of love and belonging, right? Because of who we are, the secrets we hold, the past, right? And so what I then made my astrological analysis in support of was helping my reader hopefully know that because of their astrology, they are already 
fundamentally worthy of love and belonging. And here's the vocabulary and here's the words and here's the reason, here's the expression and da da da, so that they could unlearn the, the, the conspiracy of shame, remember that their worthiness is their birthright. There are no prerequisites. There's no entrance exams. There's nothing they need to fulfill first. It's right now having worthiness as the foundation and then carrying it through to the relationship compatibility section so that they can then navigate all these different uh, all these different pairs without the binary of good or bad compatibility, right? Because I don't believe in that at all. And I didn't mention words like yeah. you know, monogamy and marriage and da, 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 da. more power to you if you want it, but I just made it purely energetic, right? So that others could feel like th- this assessment fits within their very nuanced life. So I hope that answers your question. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. And I'm like nodding my head because this is, again, it's all stuff that's needed. It's necessary. And I love also how you mentioned too about race and, you know, sexism and, and abilities and all of that stuff. These are things we have to think about as readers. No books cover this. Right. No, with, (laughs) I know. And it's 2020. Yes. Yes. Like speaking of race and astrology and queerness, one of my closest friends, Mecca Woods, she published an astrology book in 2018, and it was the first astrology book published by a black woman in a decade. Oh my God, that's so bogus. Right, I, exactly. It's bogus. Do not tell me that there weren't opportunities for black women to publish astrology, right? So, and astrologers, because people are listening to us now more than ever, we need to be talking about intersectional identities. Yes. We need to be talking about how spirituality helps us navigate that. We need to talk about how spirituality and astrology should be sophisticating our thinking, not minimizing it, because yep. I've absolutely fucking had it with all this like manifestation bullshit. It's like, I don't care about your trip to Bali if North Korea is sending a uh, fucking missile over here. It's like, what's going on here? So no, there's just so much. There's so much that spiritual seekers need to be considering and applying very quickly uh, in order for us to be using this opportunity period to the betterment of the conversation and the people that are leaning on us for wisdom and counsel. Yes. And by the way, I love Mecca Woods. We have, oh, a year, <laughs> we have a yearly dinner date and I'll be seeing her in April. And I just think she is so freaking smart uh, and so modern. She's another person that as soon as I started following her online, I'm like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? You know, I, just an amazing, amazingly talented writer and reader. And I just respect her work so much. Oh, I'm so, I love that you guys know each other. I know she has become an amazing friend to me. She's like family. I mean, yeah. it just immediately happened. I love and adore her beyond measure. So I'm so yeah. glad that we're all in that collaborative matrix together. I'm in the Mecca Woods fan club. Big me time. too. I'm <laughs> going the parade. You and me, the Gemini. Yes. <laughs> um, so you mentioned about shame, and I want to come back to that too, because in your book, you wrote that the moon is about your vulnerabilities and shame. And I want to hear more about that. Yes, yes, yes. So I believe that the moon sign, based on really just the fact that this is the the innermost nature of our being, right? This is what we're born as. I believe that the moon is what we're born as. The sun is what we become or supposed to become. Yeah, so just that there's that distinction, right? And I believe that it is the subconscious. I think it is, right? It's our emotional nature, it's family, it's childhood, it's all those experiences And yeah, I believe that the moon sign tells the story of how we deal with vulnerability as defined by Dr. Brene Brown as the following three things, risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. So our moon sign tells the story of how we adapt or deny those three things, right? And I believe that 
we are stemming uh, to find resilience around shame from our moon sign because <clears throat> like it or not, if you can tend to somebody's moon sign, you'll know exactly how to help them navigate really difficult experiences, right? And also, you could also speak to probably why they lock a lot of it out. Yes. So the moon sign, oh my God, the moon sign is the crown jewel of the chart. I think it's extremely- I agree. Different. Yeah, right? And what is your moon sign? Because I know you're a Scorpio. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> So you and I have two of the most maligned ones, right, Capricorn yes. and Scorpio? Oh, you got Capricorn. Yeah, yeah. They, they always get a bum rap. Moon and Scorpio, Moon and Capricorn. I'm like, what astrologer decided these two moons were sucky? Right, right. And that's, right, can we just question these truisms? That's all I want to know is like, are we just, can we just sharply examine that? Because some of the most extraordinary people I've met are Lunar Scorpios, right? And God forbid we can have a little bit of emotional impulse control and emotional regulation a la Capricorn Moon. Hello, right? So it's like, anyway, don't get me started. But yeah, I believe that the moon sign is here to help us cultivate shame resilience because if we're brave and we're participating in connection with others, we're always going to experience shame. So we can't engineer it out of our lives. Again, this is the research of Dr. Renee Brown. And I believe that we can use our moon sign to help us show up, be brave, be all in, and not really know the outcome. But I'm here and that's all that's enough for me, right? Yeah. And astrology, you know, really does become like an owner's manual. When you understand someone's moon, I think that it really helps you to know how to relate to them. I mean, I use, I've used it for my parenting. My daughter's got a moon in Taurus, opposite of my moon. So I knew we were going to knock heads sometimes. And I also knew that she needed structure. She needed to feel safe. She needed to know there were rules and there was going to be a hug at the end of the day. Yeah. Whereas my son has a moon in Gemini. He's got to talk it out. He's got to talk that shit out. And, you know, my mother used to look at me and say, you have different rules for your kids. And I'm like, uh, yeah, because they're different. Uh, that's true, too. Yeah, this is not a one-size-fits-all kind of garment, baby. Yeah, no. so true. And I'm really glad that you brought that up. And the way that we can use astrology to relationally connect with others, it's unbelievable. So yeah. I'm so glad that you use it as a parent. Yeah. And the way that you articulated Lunar Gemini and Lunar Taurus, it's dead on. Yeah. All she wants is a hug, rules, and maybe a cookie or two at the end of the day. Yep. Right. And then Gemini is like, make me laugh. Let's talk about it. Ask me a good question and then leave me alone because I need to process it. <laughs> exactly. That is so, so true. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of compatibility. Please. There's a big section in here. So yeah. on page 127 of your book, you write, Throughout the compatibility exploration, I will discuss the seven dynamics without planetary associations, which I love. And you said doing so works better for queer compatibility purposes. So I want you to tell me just a little bit more about why that is so. And just give me an example. Sure, 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 sure. So the reason why I included that in there is because what I've noticed in a lot of astrological texts prior to mine and others is that we associate with the planets right? So for okay. example, I'm a gay man, right? So therefore people are going to think that it's really Venus heavy, or maybe it's just Mars heavy. And I feel like that's also simplistic. I do, right? Because we want to know that, yes, these planets are important and they're lovely, but what's beautiful about queer experiences is how they bring together the wholeness, the totality of the experience of life, right? That's why I think Trans folks and gender nonconforming folks are absolutely the truest expressions of one's astrology because they're Venus, Moon, the Sun, Mars, Uranus, they're all of it, right? Yes. So I didn't want to limit the analysis to just planets. That's not to say they're not important. That's not to say we can have a conversation about 
what Mars and Leo needs or Mars and Taurus or, and stuff like that. But I just felt like for the purposes of this book and the world, the word limit that I had, I just wanted to go energy pattern so that we could see the wholeness there. And it'd be cool so that you could see, oh, my Venus and Cancer aligns with this person's moon and just without the whole technique method. And don't get me wrong. I love it. There's a time and a place for it, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't for my book. So I was like, yeah. This has got to go. I don't know if that lines up with what you were thinking, but yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I think with compatibility, um, I think compatibility is overrated because, mm -hmm. I, you know, whenever you look at astrology things, but as no, that's a perfect timing. Cause it's like, as you're <laughs> saying the truth, the noise came out. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I love it. My, my mailman is wonderful. He always rings the bell when there's a package. So obviously there's something there. And he's the most charming person. I always say that'll be my next husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that way I can be sure I get my mail. But, um, <laughs> why I say over, why um, compatibility is overrated is because, you know, oftentimes in old astrology books, they would say, well, this sign should be with that sign and that sign shouldn't be with that. And Sinastri says, this is great. And my first husband and I had a very compatible chart. It didn't work out. Mm. Now, my second husband, you know, well, we'll leave the marriage stuff out of there. But my current husband mm. um, has a, he's a Virgo. I'm a Gemini. He's got right. a moon in Aries. I got a moon in Scorpio, both Mars ruled. Right. And according to traditional astrology books, it's like, you shouldn't even be together. But I don't look at compatibility like that. I look at compatibility. It's like, it doesn't matter what sign you are. It doesn't matter what planets you are. What matters is you understand how the person operates and then you respect that. Oh, yes. God forbid. Right. No, I, I exactly. And, you know, speaking like a true Gemini son, I love your relational intelligence because you, you, you're okay with that contrast. And the method that I put in my book was uh, the system of love and desire that Esther yeah. Perel leans on heavily because, yeah, I think that to your point of compatibility in astrology, it's often measured through comfort, right? Like the yeah. only arbiter for relational success is comfort and longevity. Yes. When we know by now that uh, there's no such thing as a completely comfortable relationship. And why do we measure the relational success based on do we meet each other at the funeral home or not? Like this, yeah. come on, get rid of that shit. It's not working anymore. So that's why I put in the notion of love and desire that Esther Perel leaves on beautifully, inspired by Octavio Paz's poetry, in terms of navigating the fact that every single one of us, regardless of astrology, we all have two separate and fundamental needs for togetherness and autonomy, right? Freedom and adventure, desire and love. And I spoke on which zodiac energy was more comfortable with love or desire in that moment and in that, in that particular pair so that they can have and open up the conversation with, hmm, that's true. Because of my parents, I think I am a little bit more fluent in affection, warmth, generosity, security, trust, accountability, love. And you, because you were raised by yourself, you have a deeper fear of losing yourself, whereas I have a deeper fear of losing you. And that's also the work of couples therapy. So we'll let you reign desire here, keeping that distance between us. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but if we have that distance, we have passion, right? Yes. And we have mystery, we have the wave, we have the attraction, we have the seduction, even though we're married, I'm still reaching for you, right? And because you and your family of origin, you're more comfortable with accountability and structure and safety of love, you take the lead on that. And let's yeah. calculate and let's celebrate our strengths. And the Gottmans, as I said earlier, as pioneers of relational sciences, 
they've been studying queer couples since the early 90s. And wow. they also determined that what they do really beautifully is they look at the strengths of each pair, of each person within the relational dynamic. And that's how they determine, you know, who's going to be a caregiver, who's going to stay at home, who's going to work. These things that are usually associated with gender, queer couples look at as strengths assessment. It's like, who does a better job? Oh, you're better with money? You do it, right? Yeah. I tried to do that in this book to make sure that the compatibility section was just enlivened with the leading empirical research on relational sciences. Yeah, and you do it really well in here. I mean, really Thank seriously. You, Thank you. So uh, another question. I've got two more questions for you. Sure, sure. sure. Um, in many of the traditional books over the years, you know, Venus was feminine energy and Mars is masculine energy. The old women are for Venus and men are for Mars and all those assumptions about gender. Yes. And, you know, and again, you know, this is what I grew up having to read. And now, again, thanks to the Internet and all the wonderful people that are out there, modern astrologers have are getting a better perspective. So what do you say about those old gender assumptions in astrology? Ooh, oh, great question. Okay, so speaking of Mecca, my darling girl, <laughs> uh, we were just talking about this because you know how Venus is the planet of relationships and kindness and joy and love and blah, 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 mm-hmm. femininity, right? And Venus, the planet, is the morning star, rises in the east, usually with the sun. And who else was called morning star? Lucifer. Lucifer. Not to say women are the devil. I'm talking about how, like, what are, what are we even saying about this, right? Like, do we, what do we really think about Venus? And then Mars, the planet of fighting and fornicating and blah, 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 aggression, da, 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 da. When actually there are people studying testosterone and say none of that is true. Mm-hmm. Testosterone doesn't inspire aggression, right? It inspires a different emotion that has to do with self-preservation, not aggression. So there's just, there's so much, I can go on for days and days and days about that. But what I am really trying to do right now is kind of provide some medicine to Mars and really allow people born inside a majority culture, right? So basically anybody who's not straight, white, male, able-bodied to incorporate more Martian energy into their life. Because honestly, Teresa, I believe that Mars is the planet of self-worth. I believe that Mars is the planet by which we stand. And when when Teresa says, I will, I want, I am, it's the I in you that knows how to want, that will want, and it's going to fucking do it. And there's something really beautiful about that. And Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with fighting or fucking, unless it is, right? Right. (laughs) Unless it is, and good for you. Have fun doing it, you know? And there's just also related to Venus as well. Like, let's not act like all of these energies are really relational. Let's not act like all of these energies are exalted. Like Venus and Pisces is is exalted on what planet sometimes i have to ask myself and what why do we buy into these just these truisms once again because some of the most amazing relationships i've had with people who had venus and aries or venus and scorpio yeah so these detriment positions so there's just so much that was such a great question but i honestly think that because of my gender and because of my actually really beautiful friendship with several straight men and considering just where masculinity has to be set free from toxicity I believe that I'm feeling the most call to address Mars more than anything else. Yeah. I love that. And so one of the questions I have is this. Sure. This will be our last question. Oh, I'm mad to see you go. I know. Anxiety. (laughs) So what is your advice for straight astrologers who may have clients from the LGBTQ plus community? How might they become better allies and readers? 
That is such a great question. And you know what? I'm going to make it super like Capricorn moon easy. Okay. (laughs) Is that hopefully when they have an intake form, Mm -hmm. right? Or like just the, let's get the submission and everything. You ask, what are your preferred gender pronouns immediately? Okay. Ask to have them speak on what their sex, sexuality, and gender is from the get-go. How do you identify? How do you self-identify? Right. And then one of the things that I include in my intake form, which has actually proven really, really, really helpful is just asking, is there anything I need to know to make you more comfortable? You know, I love that. Right. Oh, thank you. And it's, and I'm, I'm not blowing sunshine on my ass. I'm just saying like, this is a helpful way for straight readers uh, or heterosexual readers just to have the right context so that first of all, immediately they feel seen and heard. Secondly, they know there's no shame or judgment theoretically. And thirdly, they just know that that matters. And then you walk in to the reading with the right information, the right acknowledgement and the right understanding. Cause yeah, they might have something to say. Like I thought this one was extraordinarily beautiful. She just simply said in the, is there anything I need to know to make you feel more comfortable? She mentioned that uh, my husband has ALS and I may have to leave to tend to him. Wow. Not related to queer people, but just like, how can we relate to just the comfort level and the security and the peace of of our readers and just be that container, be that space holder. You cannot do that without proactive information. So I would say just really have that intake form on lockdown, which I'm sure you already do, Gemini son. I'm preaching to the choir. Oh my God. I, I did it as a way also to screen people because oh, well, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to hear it, but yeah, you do kind yeah. of screen people, right? Yeah. Go ahead. But also when I, when you know, I mean, I also ask for uh, pronouns right. um, and I leave that optional just in case some people are not comfortable. Okay. Uh, but I ask questions too about why are you coming for a reading? You know, what are your challenges? So that way I know that I can serve people better. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. And I would imagine that most of our colleagues have mm-hmm. some, some sort of system to that. But yeah. it's just really, I think, relieving for queer people to read questions that allow them to self-identify from the very beginning yep. uh, so that they know that this reader is to the best of their capability, fluent in their cultural sensibilities, fluent in their cultural vocabularies, like how they can be of service to them. And to be that container, I think, you know, we are in necessary need of just like as much data as possible. And those intake forms provide that. So that would be my advice. Yep. And also, also always, always, always bring up shame. Yes, that's great advice. Yes. Yes, always. I'm going to be thinking about that. that You're making me think. Because honestly, Teresa, I mean, yeah, there's so much, there's so many questions that we need to be asking in terms of like, well, are you concerned about this relational part of your life because of what happened to you in the past and the fact that you weren't able to express and own your desires. I mean, I can't tell you how many queer people don't ask for what they want because they, from where, what basis? Because mm-hmm. God only knows how old they were when they came out. So yeah. that, you know, I spent 22 years telling me my desires are invalid. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to just have this musculature to say, I want this. I want you. I want this relationship. No, you know, so yeah. there's, really specific things that we need to talk about related to shame, related to desire, related to pleasure, related to all of that. And I think you, given your education and your fluency in the field, you're already doing it. So congratulations. And for others, it's just really important for us to have these questions ready to go so that we can be of the most help to the people who lean on us. Absolutely. And I will say that your book, 
and I really truly mean this, I think it is providing a service. It is, you are, you have written a book that really needs to be out there for people from the LGBTQ plus community, but it's also for us old farts who've been reading tarot and astrology forever and had these kinds of books. And, I, and don't get me wrong again, they, they serve a place, right. but to have this beautiful, modern, heartfelt insight. I mean, this is going to help all of us. It doesn't matter what your background is. Your book is going to help all of us to be better readers so and astrologers. So I got to tell you, I, I really appreciate that you wrote this book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I might get a little teary here making the Capricorn moon cry because you're talking about it at work. <laughs> so, so, so much to me. And just your curiosity is of service. I mean, even just the fact that you are asking these questions and, and thinking about what's missing, it just means so much to me. And I know we just met, but you are an astrologer who makes me proud to be an astrologer because I oh. tell that you are really committed to the craft and to the integrity of the system and to make other people feel less alone and in true empathy, understanding the lives of others, even if it's not something that you relate to personally, but just reaching across those divides. And it's been amazing to work with you and hear your story. And I'm just so thankful that we got to do that. Well, thank you. It's just been great to talk. And, you know, I think ultimately our work has to come down to compassion and empathy. And we can't do that if we only look at things from our own perspective. Yes, Gemini. Yes. So, and, and surround ourselves with people who agree with us and look like us. Yeah, no. 100%. I mean, even though I think that would be great. No, just kidding. <laughs> I would love it. Everybody who is just as punctual as me. No. Yes. <laughs> but all joking aside, we do need to have we need to really open our minds to so many other experiences, especially if we're going to do this work and be good at it. Oh my God. Yes. I think you're fantastic. And I am going to somehow hijack the dinner that you and I could go on. You, you, you may get a, you may get a contact from us to like show up. Oh, I would love that. It would be my <laughs> honor. I would love that. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you. We will definitely have to keep that in mind. Yes, so yes. Colin, where can people, find you if they want to work with you? Where can they buy your book? Wonderful. So I, I think wherever books are sold, I know that Barnes & Noble did put an order for it. Uh, Amazon, I, although fuck Amazon because of their corporate tax policies. Um, can I say that? I can say that. I can totally say that. Yeah, no, Capricorn Moon is just going to come out. Uh, I'm an anarchist. You can say whatever you want. That's it. I know. That too. Is, <laughs> I should have known. You set the container. Uh, yeah, wherever books are sold. And you can find me at queercosmos.com. And I offer natal chart readings. And I do weekly horoscopes. And it would be my honor to uh, facilitate a conversation with one of your readers. If I see anybody that said Teresa sent me, I'm going to be like, oh, <laughs> we love her. So I would be honored. Yes. <laughs> well, we are certainly talking about you over on Instagram uh, because, again, your book is, I can't say enough good about it. So thank you for writing the book. And thank you for being here with me today, Colin. Oh, it was such an honor. Truly. And we are dedicating this, this podcast to Mecca Woods and Reggie. And we'll leave the Reggie thing out of this. So, all right, people, that is all for today's episode. And if you're enjoying the show, I would love it if you would take a moment and leave a positive review on iTunes, because that is the best way to help astrology curious people discover the show. And I want to thank you so much. And for more fun stuff, head over to my website, thetarolady.com. You'll find tons of resources about tarot and astrology, including free monthly forecasts and horoscopes and lots more. Again, that's thetarolady.com. I'll see you there. And remember, 
first of all, remember, get to Queer Cosmos and get that book. But also, remember, no matter what's going on in the cosmos today, ultimately, you are in charge of your life. You're in the driver's seat. And if you don't like where your life is headed right now, you can change the course. You are the boss and you've got that power. I want you to be kind to yourself and others and make smart decisions. And I'll see you in the next episode.